Hey guys, and welcome back to the Image Junkies podcast. Sorry there's been a couple of weeks hiatus, but uh, it's been super busy here in Johannesburg, South Africa. I've got my four-year-old next to me today being particularly grumpy, so apologies for any interruptions. Hopefully he'll cheer up as we go. So today's a little bit different. I thought I'd read a chapter from my book, Camera Confidential, which is available on uh, Amazon and also via my website. Some of you may have read it, so apologies if this is going over old ground. But I thought a lot of you will be new to it, and it might be really interesting, I hope. I'm going to focus today on Chapter 5, which is being a travel ninja. And talking about all the tips and tricks and packing things that I've picked up over the years. That, that's kind of the basis of the whole book, really, was uh, all the tips and tricks that I've picked up that I wish I'd have known when I first started shooting news and documentaries. So, let's begin. Packing. Once you've done this job for a few years, you start to feel that you spend as much time packing as you do filming. Me? No, not you. Camera people. <laughs> it's a necessary evil and a complicated art. Every assignment is different, but the chances are that you may deploy to Lebanon, only to then get sent straight to Iceland. Therefore, it helps to pack for every eventuality. I'm on an eternal quest to find a packing solution that makes my life as simple as possible while allowing me to be ready for anything. At present, I have a soft hold-all bag packed and ready to go at a moment's notice. Inside, there's a week's worth of pants and socks, spare trousers or jeans, three t-shirts, two shirts, a fleece, a rain jacket and a sun hat. They're all rolled up to save space and placed inside mesh packing cubes that make it easier for me to find everything when I arrive at the other end. I also have pouches containing all the meds I might need, anti-inflammatories, Imodium, painkillers, multivitamins, anti-malarial drugs, etc. Plus my toiletries and electrical bits and pieces like a spare iPhone charger. Below is a checklist I've written of things to remember when heading abroad. I'm going to kind of edit this as I go, by the way. Some of these have fallen by the wayside. Some of them the technology's moved on. But let's, let's go for it and see. We can have that chat as we go. Before you leave the house, it's worth scanning your travel documents and emailing them to yourself. I, I use an app called Tiny Scanner that's very useful. Sidebar, that app I don't think exists anymore. I use a different one. But if you Google Scanner app, there's millions of them. Get your vaccinations. Having a yellow fever certificate can be especially important, as in many countries, they won't even let you on the plane if you don't show it beforehand. Carry a few passport photos with you. You'll definitely need them for local accreditation and such like when you arrive. Gaffer tape. Even if you have no idea what you might need it for, believe me, it will come in handy at some point during your trip. An inflatable or comfy pillow for the plane. As they say in the army, any fool can be uncomfortable. It's not just planes either. You might find yourself on a 14-hour road trip like I've done more than once where something like that is worth its weight in gold. It's worth packing a solar charger for your phone. Very important, especially if you're going to be out in the bush. A power inverter for the car. You know, useful for if you need to charge, charge your laptop, run a began, that sort of thing from a vehicle if you're going to be away from mains power. Check what type of plug sockets they use in the country you're going. Be sure to bring as many adapters as you can. You'll always need more than you think. There's always a member of your team who's forgotten one. Ketso, stop that, dude. Sorry, guys. This is what happens when you have a four-year-old sat next to you who won't go away while you're trying to work. Um, just remember, simple multi-adapters aren't always as versatile as you think. For example, South Africa and India 
have very specific sockets not included on the so-called worldwide adapters. Don't forget to bring some decent coffee or tea. And for me, a tub of Marmite, that's got me through many war zones over the years. Actually, sidebar to that is these days I'm more likely to bring some decent peanut butter. Imodium, always have a few with you because you never know. Barocca and rehydration or electrolyte sachets. I like to take, uh, take the Barocca in the mornings with breakfast just to sort of get me going or put, put one in my water bottle before heading out. Always helps if you can learn a bit of the local lingo as well. Even just please and thank you go a long way. Slang is even better. You know, if you can greet with the equivalent of all right, mate, then uh, people will assume you're local or know your way around and probably be less likely to harass you. I'm going to skip a section here I've got on downloading Google Maps for offline use because in reality, I don't really do it. Okay. When traveling, I always take my camera and laptop as hand luggage, as well as my spare batteries. Uh, that's also because of rules um, regarding lithium-ion batteries not being allowed in the hold. I'll also always make sure I've got my SD cards and a good book with me. Uh, I wrote that when I used to carry a big camera around. Now I carry small cameras. I pretty much travel with everything except my tripod and a few spares as hand luggage. Uh, as cameraman Simon Bradley says, always assume luggage will be lost and filming will begin on landing. Have enough kit in your hand luggage to shoot and edit a news film. Good advice. So what should you carry on to the plane? I've never had any, a problem taking my important stuff on a plane, touch wood. When I used to travel with big shoulder-mounted cameras, I found it helped to not put it in a bag so that the airline could see what it was. Most of them are generally pretty helpful in my experience if they see you lugging a big expensive camera and will help you to make space for it in the overhead bins. This is one of the reasons I'm always, even now, desperate to be the first person or one of the first people on the plane because of that luggage space in the bins. Too many people get there late and run up and down the aisle desperately looking for somewhere to put their bags. I don't want to be that guy. Sometimes I'll unscrew the viewfinder, again this is with the big cameras, and remove the front mic when putting it into the locker so that they don't get strained and, and that the thin plastic holding them together doesn't snap. Another option could be to strip everything and fit all the camera elements, the viewfinder, the batteries into a wheelie bag. I've never tried it, but I'm sure it could work with the right bag. Unless ordered to by the airline in an extreme situation, never put your camera in the hold. I'm amazed when I've seen crews doing this, and I have seen a few, the chances of it getting lost and damaged are pretty high. Just because it's in a pelly case, don't assume it's going to be fine. It's also worth mentioning here that travelling with lithium-ion batteries causes big problems. The guidelines have changed, and to be honest, they're changing all the time. So whatever I tell you now may be different. So always check it out online. Uh, when I wrote this, all lithium-ion camera batteries should be carried as hand luggage. As long as they're under 100 watt hours, then you can take as many as you can fit in your carry-on. With batteries over 100 watt hours, you're limited to only two per person. So you may need to hand some off to the rest of the team. In theory, although I've never been asked to do this, the batteries must have their contacts covered with tape and should be wrapped in plastic bags. I don't know if that's still the official advice because I've never been asked to do it. If in doubt, please check with your airline before traveling. The rule about lithium-ion batteries is being enforced. Uh, I've had mixed, uh, you know, I don't know if that's totally true by everyone. In theory, they do uh, and, and they should, but um, I've accidentally put lithium-ion batteries in the hold and not had any comeback. Obviously, what you don't want is a fire. That could be pretty bad. And, that, and that's the reason for the lithium-ion ban, by the way, is, is that there has been cases of them um, combusting. 
Okay, so let's carry on. If you're traveling with the right paperwork, then it's best to pack the rest of your kit in hard cases like Peli cases. But if you're traveling incognito, and I often do this, I don't always want to fill out all the correct paperwork and travel with lots of gear. So I use a hard shell suitcase um, and try and fit everything in one, which for some of you isn't a possibility. Those of you who travel with a lot of lights, etc. Pellies are expensive, but give your gear much more protection than a soft bag or suitcase. Use the foam inserts that come with it to stop everything moving around or getting damaged. Or do what I do and have everything in padded camera bags inside the hard cases. That gives double protection. It means when you reach your destination, you just pull them out and you're ready to go. Um, not everybody uses hard cases like Pellies, though. Filmmaker Philip Bloom told me he also prefers to use ordinary suitcases. So they're less tempting to baggage thieves, which is a fair point. Uh, for me, though, the bigger worry is customs officials rather than baggage thieves. Also, the hassle with Peli cases, just as a side note, is that often you get to the airport and you can't find them because a lot of airports take them to an area called outsized baggage and it might take you ages, one, to work out they've gone there and two, to find where it is. So just be aware, if all your Peli cases are missing, they might be at outsized baggage. Also, I know more than one shooter slash journalist who uses Tupperware boxes for stories, ba storing batteries and cables. This is a good way of keeping everything organised. Uh, be aware when you're packing, though, that most airlines have a maximum weight per piece of luggage of 23 kilos, and having to pack at the airport would be a nightmare. Try and avoid it. People often ask me how much should they pack. That's a tough question. It's great to travel light, and I always try and travel light, until you realise that you've forgotten something you really need. When I was working as a traditional cameraman, I would carry about four big pelly cases, approximately 50 centimeters by 30 centimeters. I also had a padded tripod bag and my personal bag, even more if I was bringing began and body armor. In my boxes, I'd have my day sack with mics, spare batteries, etc. second camera, often like an EX-1, which is still big by my standards today. Um, Matt Allard, an experienced and highly skilled cameraman, uh, formerly of Al Jazeera, now I believe freelance in Japan, told me he travels or did with between 12 and 15 boxes of gear. Not an option for many of us. Before traveling, he would ask himself three questions. What's the job? Where's the job? What if I get diverted or sent somewhere else? With these in mind, he told me, I don't believe in taking only the bare necessities. I would only take just the absolute basics if I was going somewhere where it was too hard to carry equipment or where the vehicle transport couldn't take it. Like mine, his camera and a laptop always go as carry-on, as does a DSLR. In his plethora of Peli cases are some of the following items. Lighting kit, matte box, filters. Um, this is probably dated now, but he said a Matrox box, which is a signal converter for playing off your laptop into Satrux, etc. Uh, Blackmagic do those, and they're very small and easy to carry now. Uh, he even carried a small Jimmy Jib, although I doubt he does that now, and uh, would, would wrap that in yoga mats inside a surfboard bag. Matt offers further advice for camera crews. Always be prepared, he says. Knows where, know where everything is in your kit. Keep it organized, keep everything charged and carry spares of everything. There's no feeling worse than not having packed something or having a piece of equipment fail and having no backup. I can be diverted from one location to somewhere else in the world at any moment. It's crucial for me to have as much kit as possible for any scenario at any time. At the other end of the spectrum is Eve Simard, a lighting cameraman based in New Zealand. His workload includes the show Amazing Race, 
where the travel is so relentless that he needs to be through the airport quicker than the teams he's filming. His philosophy is that it doesn't fit in one suitcase, then it isn't coming. To achieve such minimalist perfection, he makes sure he has a small tripod that will collapse into a compact size to go in the case, a Miller Solo I think he was using, four batteries, a tiny lighting kit, built-in radio mic and a Sennheiser 416 for sound. <laughs> he also said he doesn't wear underwear and buys t-shirts while on the road to save space. Dedication above and beyond the call of duty, I would say. Luggage safety. Once everything is packed, double lock your bags and hard cases using TSA compliant locks. These are authorised by US Customs and allow them to open the bags with a master key or combination. Actually, these days, often when I'm flying in and out of Johannesburg, I wrap the bags in the sort of plastic wrap that you can get done at the airport, usually for between sort of 5 and $15, depending on where you are. That's great, but it is a bit of a hassle when you take it off at the other end. A tip given to me by experienced assistant producer uh, and camera person James Fulcher is to secure locks against the cape case using gaffer tape so they don't get knocked off in transit and that's a good point because I've had that happen. Unfortunately I find many airports still just take bolt cutters to your locks if they want to look inside. Sean Twomley, brilliant uh, BBC sport cameraman, freelancer, gives the following advice. Hold on one second. Yes son? I need to play. You need to play? I'm going to play with you in five minutes. Right let's carry on. Give me two minutes dude. I secure the lids of my cases, Sean says, with single-use cable ties and not padlocks. I was advised years ago by an airport security guy that if your bag passes through x-ray and warrants a search, a padlock takes ages to get off and will probably delay your bag or stop it getting loaded. Cable ties are easier to remove but still put off opportunist thieves. Another useful thing to do is to label all your luggage with your name and flight number. Often as well, if you're travelling on a big story and there's loads of other camera crews there, it's worth wrapping a piece of coloured cloth or something around your pelly cases so that you know which are yours. Because it is a bit of a pain when there's more than one crew on a flight and loads of pelly cases. Right, paperwork. Our friends and family assume that travel is a perk of our job. I'm not convinced that this, and I think the stress actually shortens our lives considerably. There are a few things more exhausting than waiting in an empty airport arrivals lounge at 2am while you negotiate with an overzealous customs official about whether you're allowed your kit or not. Travelling around the world with kit takes patience, money and lots of it. My first tip for those of you looking to travel regularly is to get a good book and lots of new music on your smartphone to fill those hours waiting around. My next tip is to get a second passport. Most countries allow you to apply for one if you have a letter from your employer explaining why you need one. A valid reason would be that you're expected to travel to Israel and to the Arab countries. Right, I'm going to skip the next section uh, around visas and customs papers because it all changes so often. Short version is if you're in the UK or the EU or the US, you want to get yourself an ATA carnet. Um, it gets a lot more complicated when, like me, you work in Africa because every country seems to vary. It changes all the time. Often you can blag it, and often they just want money. And I'm not saying it's necessarily a bribe, but, you know, you have to leave a deposit at customs, which you can get when you return with the kit. It's a bit of a hassle, but always double-check with someone you know before going, if someone you know has been there. If not, just make sure you've got a shed load of dollars in your back pocket, because you never quite know how much it's going to cost you to get through customs if you get stung. Okay, as much as I love this job, it's put me off flying completely. I agree with Philip Bloom when he said, I hate flying, 
Travelling with gear is not glamorous. I'm often on my own struggling with two trolleys. <laughs> and that's a skill I learned, actually, was pushing two trolleys. The secret is, by the way, at least at Heathrow it was anyway, to have the two trolleys pointing slightly in towards each other and then push forward, and they kind of just go straight. So it's, a, it's a, an art that takes a bit of practice. The number one rule for dealing with stress of airports is to give yourself as much time as possible. I always aim to get to the check-in desk three hours before departure, much to the annoyance of my colleagues who always want to rock up as late as possible. It helps to know where the terminal customs office is. Get the cab to drop you as close as possible and go there first to get your carnet kit list stamped. I always try and avoid hiring porters just because one, often especially in the UK, it's a rip-off. And two, it's just a hassle, especially if you get swamped. A little trick, actually, just as an aside, that a friend taught me that I haven't really had to use, but some of you might find useful. Let's say you arrive somewhere such as, uh, you know, Ghana or Nigeria, South Sudan, somewhere where porters will sort of swamp you and want, want to help you, is when there's like loads of guys, he would take a bit of gaffer tape. And so he didn't get confused. He would say, right, I want two of you. And he'd rip a bit of gaffer tape, stick it on them and say, just you two. And then he would know at the end who to pay. Because sometimes it does get confusing when there's so many guys all saying, oh, but I carried a bag and I took a bag. You know, so that, that, that was quite a useful trip, I thought. Okay, let's, let's skip on to practical trips, tips for survival. It's not only in war zones where you have to be sensible and have your wits about you. Wherever you go, be prepared for hassle, people trying to rip you off or rob you, road traffic accidents, fire police harassment, anything else you can think of. Carrying a camera and equipment makes it pretty difficult to blend in and avoid attention. But here's a few tips uh, myself and, and friends made and some I found online and try and follow that I thought might be useful. If you can, be sure to travel with a handful of small change and banknotes for your destination country. It upsets me now how many airports charge you for a baggage trolley and you need like a euro or something. Carry multiple lens cloths I always try and have one in my pocket, one in my bag. It's one of the few things I just know I'm always going to miss if I don't have it. Try to get a hotel room close to the elevator so you don't have to drag all your equipment up and down the corridor multiple times a day. If you're somewhere dangerous, it can also be a bad idea to have a room close to the main street or directly above reception where a bomb would most likely be detonated. I was working in Kenya a lot when uh, there was a state of Al-Shabaab throwing grenades into bars and things. And I always made sure I was nowhere near the hotel reception or by the bar there in case a grenade got chucked in. One tip that I learned from a friend and I've been trying to do is to carry a small rubber door wedge to wedge your hotel door room shut from the inside when you're in there. Also, carry a couple of the hotel business cards with you if, they, if you can. These can be great to show a taxi driver or passerby should you get lost. Always carry a head torch. You never know when the power might go. Although these days, with phones having torches in them, that certainly helps. Comfortable or sturdy boots, as your, as your gram would say. Even if you plan on filming in town, you never know where you might end up. I spend far too much time filming on open sewers and uh, polluted areas and so on. Stay hydrated, drink lots of water, stick to the bottled variety. Always look both ways before crossing a road. I know this sounds obvious, but I've forgotten this before and nearly walked into oncoming traffic on more than one occasion. Never take your eyes off your kit. One lapse in concentration and it could be scooped up by someone on a scooter or in a car. If you're eating dinner and it's on the floor, wrap the camera strap around your ankle. 
wear a seatbelt. I know people look at you like you're mad and say, inshallah, but better safe than sorry. It might mean sacking a driver if you have a car without one. Find another. You're more likely to be killed in a car crash than anything else. Smile most, Smile brightly at most people you meet, but be prepared to growl when you have to. Be polite, but stand your ground. Wash your hands regularly. Let's face it, we're often putting them in some pretty dirty places. I'm always climbing on the floor. Um, I know it's a bit of a cliche for the sort of, you know, the, uh, the, the Western foreigner, but to have a little bit of the antibacterial hand wash is very useful. Always have local currency on you for tips and buying cold drinks. If you're working with a producer, don't rely on them to pay for everything. It's nice to have your own cash. Always look confident, shoulders back, chest out, and look like you know exactly where you are and what you're doing, even if you're in a dodgy area. Always dress conservatively. In many cultures, shorts or tight t-shirts don't go down well. I always wear jeans and a shirt or cargo pants and a smart t-shirt, depending on the environment. I once went running in shorts while covering the war in Libya. It took me a while to realise where people were staring at me and beeping their horns. Um, and joking aside, a lot of cameramen do wear shorts all the time, and... You know, I, I get it. I know it's comfortable. But personally, I don't like it. And I think we should always try and look professional. Uh, and to me, and I know this might be an unpopular thing to say, wearing shorts for filming, I don't think is that professional. Even on a beach, I would still wear uh, light trousers because, you know, you're representing your, your organization. Anyway, learn when to ask permission to film and when not to. This is a hard skill to learn and often is instinctive. Sometimes I'll walk into a place and introduce myself and ask if somebody minds being filmed. At other times I'll film discreetly from a distance or use a small camera like a tourist. Often it just takes experience to learn when to ask permission and when to try and grab the shot without permission. If you want to shoot without making it obvious, then shoot from the floor rather than on the tripod. You can also use a wide lens and walk around with a camera slung over your shoulder without people realising you're filming. Another trick I've learned when filming on a tripod is to set the shot that I want, but then turn away and look like I'm having a conversation with someone. People don't realize that you're still filming and they relax a little bit. Whereas when you're staring at them through the viewfinder, it makes them nervous and they may be more likely to give you trouble. I call this hiding in plain sight. Funnily enough, with a big shoulder-mounted TV camera, it can actually be easier to hide in plain sight because they see you and they see what you're doing. Often I find with a DSLR, it can be more suspicious because people aren't quite sure who you are and what you're doing. Well, always have your passport handy but tucked somewhere safe. I carry mine in a pouch around my waist. The downside of this, it does get a little sweaty. So what I've started doing now is getting a little plastic sandwich bag, putting my passport inside that, inside the, the, the waist pouch. Obvious but worth pointing out, charge all your gear every chance you have. Never go to bed without making sure everything is ready for the next day's shoot. Get a translation app for your smartphone. I use Google Translate, although frankly, I don't actually use it that much. I, th I think mainly because I go to um, Anglophone Africa, where English might not be a first language, but most people will kind of get the gist. Another tip that I'm guilty of not always following myself, but I think it's a good one, is to carry an old wallet with some out-of-date credit cards and a small amount of cash in it. If you get mugged, you can hand that over. Let's say there's $10 in it. They're probably happy you get away with your real cards and the rest of your cash. If you need to stop and look at a map, do it subtly. What I do is I'll have the map inside my bag and I'll pretend I'm rooting through looking at something in my bag, whereas actually I'm looking at the map. 
The other thing I'll do is rip pages from map books and use them, uh, just keep them in my pocket or use it as a bookmark and then I just quickly pull it out and look at it. If you feel you're a kidnap risk, maybe you're working in South America or parts of the Middle East, don't follow routines, take different routes at all times. If a street's empty, it might be for a good reason, find a different route. So a list of tips can never be 100% comprehensive and if you go back to episode two um, of the podcast then you'll hear some some great tips from Nick when we uh, were talking mojo and other things but he also had some great travel tips so do listen to episode two if you want more on the travel nothing can make up for experience but hopefully if you're just starting out then these tips will keep you from making the obvious mistakes mm-hmm. so that's all for today yes son no was as part of you but she came back She's back now. That's good. So anyway, guys, I think as you can see, I've got a very impatient young man who's desperate for daddy's attention. So do um, please do share the podcast if you like it. Send send the link to friends. Check out imagejunkies.net and do leave a comment because it really helps. And sometimes I feel that nobody's listening. So it's nice to know that you are. And if the uh, chapter on travel sounded interesting, there's a lot more in my book, Camera Confidential. If you Google uh, Camera Confidential, Christian Parkinson, you should find it. Although you you may find the old Rory Peck version, which is now not available. So best bet actually is to go to imagejunkies.net and have a look on there. Have a route around or to search on Amazon. All right, guys, take care. And I've got a few good interviews coming up in the next few weeks. Mike Riley, if you're listening, that means you and you, Jason Boswell, hoping to nail both of those guys down to talk some really interesting stuff. So that's goodbye from me. You can say bye-bye. Bye-bye. And goodbye from my son. All right, guys, take care. Bye-bye.